0: words. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop, going to talk about water reuse and potable water today, joined by Greta Zorns. She is Water Reuse Practice Leader at CDM Smith. Greta, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Travis.
0: This is one of my favorite topics. I uh am obsessed with water reuse really. Uh I think it's so critical these days. Uh let's start with uh, I guess a kind of a a basic question um that might not have a basic answer. Potable reuse. When we hear that that term, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, this is uh obviously one of my favorite topics. So, <laughs> um reuse is the future, that's for sure and potable reuse more specifically is the future. So simply put, um, potable reuse is utilizing very highly treated wastewater as a potable water source. So that's the simple way that we can describe it, but there's a lot of nuance to potable reuse. The wastewater that we utilize is usually municipal wastewater, but it can also be stormwater. It can be industrial wastewaters that are treated to really high standards and repurposed. It can be a mixture of these waters. Um, We often do a lot of blending with existing source waters. So at the end of the day, potable reuse really involves engineering a system that integrates both water and wastewater treatment technologies. And then it may or may not include an environmental buffer like a reservoir or aquifer. Mm. So if it's okay, I'll tell you a little bit more about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely, go ahead.
1: Okay, great. So we talk about potable reuse using two terms typically, direct potable reuse and indirect potable reuse. Um, So are these terms familiar to you, Travis?
0: They are to me, uh, but but maybe a quick, maybe a very quick definition for our audience.
1: Okay, great. So um, indirect potable reuse is um, when we design these systems and we ensure that there is an environmental buffer. In place. So, for example, in California and Virginia, um, both those states are recognized pioneers of indirect potable reuse in the U.S. They've got projects dating all the way back to the 60s and 70s. Um, another early example of potable reuse actually occurred in Chanute, Kansas. And this is kind of an obscure one, but I like using it because it was due to a drought in the 1950s. Mm. And there, the river that they used as their source water for the water treatment plant went dry. And so they still kept discharging the wastewater effluent from their reclamation facility into the river and then just running it directly through their water treatment plant. So it wasn't perfect when you look back at the case study, but it's one of the earliest examples of using wastewater as a drinking water supply source. All right, so the most notable indirect potable reuse project in the U.S. is probably Water Factory 21, which probably many of you have heard about. It's now referred to as Orange County's groundwater replenishment system. It's in Southern California, and there, a very highly treated municipal wastewater is injected into the aquifer and is used to supplement drinking water supplies in the area. So it's been a great project. It's been um, expanded over the decades. So that's that's a very you know well-known, very well-studied indirect potable reuse system. So there is one more nuance to indirect potable reuse, and that is that there's a lot of de facto indirect potable reuse. And that's been practiced for decades. People don't think about it. So we call it de facto because it's not an engineered system. It's not planned. But it's pretty common, really, for water reclamation plants to discharge effluent directly to water supply reservoirs in Texas. I know of several. Um, And then there, of course, are cities such as New Orleans, where, you know, we are using the Mississippi River as our source water for drinking water. But think of all the reclamation facilities upstream Mm. that discharge into the Mississippi River. So it is truly the ultimate example of unregulated, indirect potable reuse.
0: Yeah, that's a, just, that's a that's a great point, you know, about yeah. uh, about all the water intakes that are downstream of discharges. Right. And it's uh, th- and that's, that's how it right. is. You know, uh, there is no such thing as new water. It's all been used <laughs> in some form and fashion and, and reused and reused. Right.
1: That's exactly right. And that was all indirect. There is direct potable reuse, which is the new frontier. And that is where we actually design for um, the reuse of wastewater directly into a drinking water system. So we don't have an environmental buffer, like a river, like a reservoir, like an aquifer. So it's really exciting and um, you're gonna see a lot more direct potable reuse over the next 10 years.
0: Yeah, fantastic overview of that. So, uh, you know, with, with the water sector, regulations are always an issue and they should be because we're talking about water and and public health uh when it comes to potable reuse what does the regulation landscape look like on that front what kind of regulations are in place
1: well this is my opinion but um (laughs) the regulations (laughs) are really messy because they're very different state to state so it's just not always clear um and potable reuse in the U.S. is regulated by each state. So in some states like California, there is clear regulation. In some states like Texas, it's case by case. Um, there is, however, there's, there's decades of precedent from sites around the world. So the oldest potable reuse um, project in the world is, is usually cited as the one in Windhoek, Namibia um so again lots of precedent lots of research has gone on there to just ensure the safety and to understand how we monitor these systems and how we how we design them which technologies treatment technologies we we should use there's also singapore that has been practicing indirect potable reuse for over 15 years and australia there are a lot of great projects in australia as well so even though the regulations are not always clear in the U.S. there's a lot of neat precedent and we often look to Australia and we look to their regs um, a lot of times as guidelines for our projects here. Um, Direct potable reuse regulations are a really hot topic right now in our industry and Florida, California and Colorado are all developing these direct potable reuse regulations and Colorado actually just approved theirs in October. So I I think there's still a couple more changes that are going to be made, but um, we will see more and more direct potable reuse regulations emerging, and I think we'll continue to see the indirect potable reuse regulations um, evolve as well in multiple states.
0: It it definitely seems like there's there is some new uh, more significant movement on that regulatory front, like you just mentioned with, with Colorado. It's, it's it's exciting to see from my perspective. It's it's good stuff. Definitely.
1: Um, And I think I'd be remiss if I don't mention industrial and food and beverage facilities, because, you know, there's lots of neat um, reuse happening in that space, too. And we work with a lot of industries that go ahead and treat their industrial uh, wastewater to, to basically a drinking water equivalent standard. So they're not necessarily following the potable reuse regs of their state, although sometimes they are required to do that but actually they're often regulated by which industry they're a part of so if it's food and beverage it's fda and a combination of other um, oversight entities so again it's kind of industry to industry and state to state to work out these regs but there are a lot of companies out there that are already doing it so it's pretty cool
0: yeah so when you talk about reuse, you know, we've talked here about potable reuse, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of other ways that water is reused. Could you talk a little bit about the difference and what makes potable reuse so different from those those other types of reuse projects?
1: Yeah, definitely. So potable reuse, our biggest challenge is really not the technology. It's not the treatment. It's not the engineering. Our biggest challenge is public perception. So when people hear that we're going to use wastewater for drinking water, it just it just really concerns them. Um, so when if I said to you, oh, we're going to, you know, take this wastewater, treat it to a standard that it can be used to water you know parks in your community. I think everyone gets on board with that really quickly. Like that is fantastic. You know, that's a great use of a resource. Uh, but, yeah, there's something about taking wastewater and treating it to a drinking water standard that that makes um, the public uncomfortable. So community outreach, community education, and acceptance are really important when you're implementing these projects. And I think it's, that's really the major difference between potable reuse and a lot of other types of reuse. And honestly, Public concerns have stopped potable reuse projects from going forward, even when they were really needed in the community. Mm. So that's something that we watch and we're we're very aware of.
0: Well, I think you you certainly are familiar with, and I'm sure many listeners are that whole uh, toilet to tap phrase that got thrown that's on right. to this type of uh, type of project, right? And that. Uh, really, I think, fueled that public uh, distaste for it. Uh, I heard this, uh, you know, El Paso, Texas, I think uh-huh. they're, they're charging ahead on direct potable reuse. And I heard that because of the education they've done there over such a long amount of time that they've really built up very strong uh, customer support for it. Um, and so I, I think that Again, education and communication and public engagement are key mm-hmm. to these types of projects, right?
1: Absolutely, um, and you're right on. El Paso has done a great job, and you know they're in the process of of building what will be one of the largest, or likely the largest and first of its kind direct potable reuse project in the country. And, yep, they've done a great job when it comes to education and outreach. Mm. Um, I should also mention that... The regulations and that collaboration with local regulators um, is really important to these projects, and it also sets them apart because from day one you really need to be um, working mm. hand in hand with the regulators to be sure that you are designing um, to the appropriate standards that you're thinking about protection of public health, and then that monitoring and oversight of these projects once they're up and running can can be quite significant, and in fact what's interesting is that the oversight of potable reuse projects is really more rigorous than the oversight of our drinking water facilities in the US.
0: <laughs> so, mm. um, that, yeah, there you go with that that patchwork of confusing regulations. Yeah. Uh, what what's the motivation for communities pursuing these these potable reuse projects? Why why is it happening?
1: Really, it gets down to water supply reliability. So, when you look around the world, the reason that these reuse projects have moved quickly in some areas is due to drought. So, they've been, there was a, a drought in Australia that was really significant, uh, the Millennium Drought in the early 2000s, that, that drove um, the design and um, construction of a number of these types of facilities. So, that was really drought driven. And Singapore, um, They were driven to do potable reuse due to um, insecurity around their water supply that was provided by Malaysia. So it wasn't drought, but again, it was that water supply reliability. So I think we we all recognize, especially in areas such as the West of the US, conservation really needs to come first, but potable reuse can be part of your water supply portfolio. And we say it's a truly drought-proof supply of water. It it really is. There will always be wastewater, right?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, well, let's, I guess, pivot to uh, moving forward on these kind of projects. Uh, what, how do how does a community a utility start planning for potable reuse? What what are the kind of initial steps to take?
1: So, I've uh, probably. Um, emphasize this quite a bit already, but I think there, there are three things that I think about whenever I'm thinking about a new project. And the first one is the status of the state regulations and understanding the regs for a particular project. So engaging those regulatory authorities early. If there aren't regs in place, don't panic. I and mean, we have worked in many states where there were no potable reuse regulations in place at the time, but because of all that precedent that exists and a lot of other states that do have clear regs, there are often ways to get projects permitted. Um, And for industrial facilities, there are often regulatory pathways that aren't, again, that potable reuse pathway, but more um, creating a drinking water equivalent type of water source. And then secondly, start thinking about your sewer shed so your sewer shed everything that goes into your collection system is your source water so you have the industry potentially in your area um, think about all the dischargers to your sewer system and start thinking about your industrial pretreatment program what chemicals are they discharging how are they going to impact some of your critical design parameters just even things like total dissolved solids, you know, how how are all these discharges going to impact your potable reuse treatment system? So that's one thing you can do really early on, just get a handle on your sewer shed and, and your water quality in your sewer shed. And then last is develop a public engagement strategy. So begin it early, begin that community outreach early. Um, I love the Singapore example, because they've been a leader for so many years now, but they actually branded their reuse water. They call it New Water. Mm. They have a beautiful visitor center. It's actually um, a tourist location. Like Tourists go to visit the New Water Visitor Center. It's very beautiful and informative and has really been a source of pride even for, for for Singapore. They've got really clear, well-designed educational materials. You can go to their websites and even have a look, and it's it's very well done. So um, Singapore is one I like to look to. Of course, they've done it really well. There are other smaller communities that have also done a really nice job of, of putting their, their education and outreach materials together. So there's a lot of um, examples out there.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's a great list of of ways to get started with all of this. So uh, where can people go to learn more about potable reuse and a lot of these different aspects that you've talked about today?
1: So starting with the Water Reuse Association website is a great, great way to get going. So there's a lot of good information there. And then we've talked about... um, some of the the major facilities in the U.S. So Orange County, they have a really nice website as well, where they explain, you know, how their system works and and some of the research that's been done over the years. Singapore, Australia, same thing. There are a lot of great websites out there with information on their plants and how they work. Um, you can also learn a lot on the EPA website. There's there's a lot of good information there. EPA is really Um, looking at reuse and encouraging reuse now. Of course, WEF has materials. And then ideally go visit a potable reuse facility or one of the visitor centers that exists. And there are many that are planned around the country, but there are some that exist already. So if you're lucky enough to be in Southern California, it's easy to find one.
0: Mm, Great. Well, well, uh, Greta, this was a wealth of information that you provided in this conversation. Uh, it's exciting stuff, like I said in the very beginning. This is one of my favorite areas. Uh, like you said in the beginning, it's the future, and the future is kind of arriving right now. Uh, it's fun to, fun to see it all happening around us. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing all this uh, knowledge and perspective.
1: Thanks for having me, Travis. Appreciate it.